You're listening to Comedy Central. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast for The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Uh, Becca, how long have you been producing this podcast? I've been producing this podcast for two years now. And your favorite thing about it? The extended moments, for sure. Right, because sometimes I'll interview like a big star for 25 minutes. We can only put like 14 minutes on air. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. And who produces that? Uh, I, I help out. It's a team effort. Please welcome Jeffrey Wrights. In here. Yeah, this is an amazing audience. Wow. Are you kidding me? Cool. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Can I just say, I mean, I've, I've known you for a few years, but it's always weird speaking to you post-Westworld because there are moments when I'm not sure if you are you. <laughs> and I'm sure you get this from many people. You are so good playing that role. Do you, like, ha- has that just become something that you accept now? Is people waiting to see if you twitch? <laughs> I do glitch from time to time. <laughs> I give myself away. I, I actually, as well, uh, have uh, a little bit of metal in this knee now, so I think that's kind of an upgrade on my, on my former self. Oh, yeah, because you, you had, like, a knee surgery, I had some right? knee surgery about a month ago, yeah, to fix an old ACL injury, but it's oh, all good. It's all well, good. That, that's where you went away. Okay. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've seen the show. They take you away, they repair you, and then you come back. We get it. Exactly. We get it. Uh, but you're here for a very different reason, and I, and I guess on a timely date. You know, in the United States, people... Uh, are remembering veterans who fought in, in World War I. And your documentary, We Are Not Done Yet, is in a big part about people who have survived fighting in a war, you know, veterans who suffer PTSD. It's, it's a powerful story. And what you do is you, you connect all of them to us and to each other using theater and poems. How did you even start this process? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I, you know, over time, I guess I kind of grew up and became a little more aware and a little more appreciative of the men and women who serve. I think one of the mistakes that was made after Vietnam was that some of us conflated the politics of that war with the people who answered the call. And I think that would be a huge mistake right now. Uh, So I just, uh, my respect, um, based on relationships that I developed with people who were veterans based on an experience in Sierra Leone, uh, going over there in 2001 during the war, peace, uh, a ceasefire at the time, but the first war zone that I had ever experienced. And it changes your thinking. Uh, Those things that you once took for granted, like security, you no longer take for granted. You don't uh, take for granted that when the order uh, falls away, somebody has to work to restore it. So there were a number of experiences over time that, uh, that increased my respect. And uh, I was doing a group of, uh, of readings called Theater of War. There's a guy named Brian Dorries 
who uses the Greek tragedies as a platform for conversation about the consequences of war. And he does it in military communities. He even does it in uh, inner city communities right. uh, around gun violence. He, he, for example, argues that Ajax story, that's an examination of what we might contemporarily call PTSD. And so I was doing those, and I uh, went down to D.C. for one of these readings, and there happened to be some people from the Pentagon there. And I asked, hey, is there any way I can get more closely involved? And in fact, a couple of weeks before that, um, I had been out in Colorado at an airport, rural airport, with my kids coming home from uh, vacation skiing. And uh, there was a guy sitting in a wheelchair, you know, all, you know, all the decorations there, and he was a triple amputee. And he recognized me, and I went over and I said hello, and we talked. And he talked about the people from my line of work who had visited him at Walter Reed. Um, he had been hit by a mortar shell in Afghanistan. And it just, like, rocked me. I was like, oh, man, what am I doing with my time that I can't at least go down and, and see if I can be useful, too? Uh, so when I did this reading in D.C., met these folks from the Pentagon, I said, hey, you know, what can I do? They called me back. Somehow I passed the vetting uh, process for the Pentagon. Uh, and they introduced me to a woman named Seema Reza, who runs a uh, writing workshop for right. veterans who are working through their trauma, through poetry. And uh, one of them had the idea to put on a staged reading of collective poems that they had written. And I was asked, would I come down in the dire and direct them? So, well, I don't, you know, I never served, but, you know, I know something about the theater. So uh, I came down and uh, it was a life-changing experience working with them. It's interesting that you say there are certain things we take for granted, such as security. A lot of America's uh, military and a lot of the troops have been politicized because of who is in power and when and how. Uh, one thing that is apparent is that America seems to discard many of its troops when these people come home. You see so many people that are, you know, that are lauded and applauded when they're out fighting. But when people come home, they struggle to find jobs, they struggle to find their place in society. And time and time again, we see these conversations where people are saying, is America doing enough for the troops who are no longer active? Is it as important? What did you find when you spoke to the human beings behind the uniforms? The answer to that question is no. Um, and I think... One of the things that I'm proud about about this film is that it gives voice to those men and women who know best, those men and women who put themselves on the line. And these are veterans who experience PTSD from combat, but also sexual assault uh, related to their military uh, um, experience. Right. But we don't hear from them. And we hear from the politicians and the blowhards who actually use these men and women to divide us. So we have a conversation about police brutality, and all of a sudden the troops are brought into that conversation. Conversation about immigration, all of a sudden we're deploying troops down there who are going to sit and do what? Uh, uh, fire on women and children? Um, can you imagine the optics of something like that? Can you imagine the act itself? Right. So, uh, but we, we, we hear the troops manipulated and the vets manipulated for political agendas, but we don't hear from them. And those very issues that are used as, uh, as political tools um, are not addressed. So you still have uh, 20 vets per day uh, dying from suicide. We heard a lot about that during the campaign, not so much anymore, but the rates are still the same. Right. It's a powerful program that you put together. And what's great in watching this documentary is you see the human side in all of these people come out. You know, for so long, people have looked at them as only troops. I always see people saying, hey, thank you for your service. And, and that becomes a thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an archetype that people hold up. Right. But the human comes out on the other side. Why was poetry so powerful? Why do you think the arts was something that helped 
a lot of these veterans? Well, because I think they have stories and maybe as a result of the military culture, stories around vulnerabilities and stories around injuries that they can't communicate within that space. But there's a need to communicate it. Otherwise, as they describe, it will kill them. Right. So they need to get it out. They need to purge themselves of the shame of what they might not have been able to do, perhaps the shame of what they did uh, the, uh, the, the injury as a result of losses that they experienced, uh, sexual assault uh, as well. They have these things that they need to release in order to free themselves of these demons, and they need to be heard so that, one, um, they can perhaps be validated and perhaps be seen without judgment, but also what they describe is they, they want to speak as a show of leadership for others who are like them, right. because there are thousands like them. You know, the, the, we, I think what we do at Veterans Day is wonderful to honor the vets. Of course, we honor the men and women who put themselves in harm's way on our behalf. But I think at the same time, what we do perhaps too much is we impose our sense of who they are onto them. Because there was a, there's a really stunning moment when we were working together in this piece, and we show it in the film, in which uh, one of the vets is reading a poem, words that he's written, and he comes to the word heroic, and he can't say it because he doesn't, he's conflicted right. about what his heroicism, what that word means for him. And so uh, rather than listen to them and hear that they may be in pain, they may have shame, uh, they just uh, perhaps um, are confused or, right, or whatever right. the emotions are around this. It's not what, uh, what we perceive them to be. Um, it's not so easy. And the thank you for, the, for your service is great, but uh, they need a little more. They first need to be heard so that we can begin to understand them. So, I, th I mean, I think what we do is we either kind of claim them as our own, we misunderstand them, or... We ignore them, uh, and the problems that they're facing are generational, uh, homelessness, uh, suicide. Um, and if we're going to solve those problems, we're not going to solve them by talking ourselves. We're going right. to solve them first by acknowledging them, by hearing them, listening to them, and not making assumptions based on our own uh, misperceptions. Well, thank you so much. The documentary does that and more. We are not done. We're Not Done Yet is currently airing on HBO and is available to stream on HBO Now and HBO Go. You really want to watch it. Jeffrey Wright, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.